Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habits of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. This episode of Sports Business Radio is powered by our friends at Malka Sports. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? You know, I'm good, Burger. I'm happy, healthy. The family's doing good. Watching a lot of football. Excited for uh, Christmas season. So, yeah, doing good overall. Uh, every year we do our top 10 sports business stories of the year. And at the end, you and I kind of talk about, hey, what's going to happen the next year? What are some of the trends to follow? Some predictions, things of that nature. And, you know, we probably spend all of about two minutes on it. Well, with everything that's going on in the world of sports business this year, we felt like we needed to dedicate an entire show to what have we learned from this year? And then what are some of the trends and projections for 2021? So that's what we're going to do on our show today. Sports Business Radio co-founder Keith Foreman, who's been on the show many times before, is going to join me and we're going to look ahead, Griggs. And I think our guests on Sports Business Radio this year, whether it's Mark Cuban or Arthur Blank or you know, so many visionaries have kind of laid a little bit of a blueprint for us and and dropped some hints as to what might lie ahead. So we're going to flush that out a little bit more today. Yeah. I mean, this year, unlike any other year, there's so much to, you know, guess on and project and look forward to in a new year coming off this pandemic. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be changes in pretty much everything, I think. So you and Keith really dive in. It's really some good, some good commentary and good insight, but you're right. Some of our guests We've had such a great slew of guests this year, and so many of them have uh, given hints to the future. So we'll see if it all comes true. But uh, yeah, good, good insight today from Keith and yourself. And if you want to listen to some of those past episodes, uh, step into the Sports Business Radio Vault on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at sportsbusinessradio.com. And you can hear not just this year's episodes, but uh, we go all the way back to 2007 when podcasting first started we are podcast ogs griggs yes we are we started it when no one knew what it was and look at us we're still knocking it out i love it we barely know what a podcast was back then (laughs) so griggs looking ahead to 2021 uh we talk about a lot of things on this show but give me a bold prediction or just something that you think is going to happen in 2021 well you and i both like the olympics and those were postponed obviously from this summer to july of 2021 so I think, uh, and I, even NBC is starting to run some little five-second, ten-second uh, promos. So I think the Olympics are going to happen. 
but I think it obviously will look different. I bet you most of NBC or a lot of NBC is uh, back here in the U.S. doing remote broadcasts. So I kind of think that's my big one I'm going to be watching for in 2021. All right. And you'll hear ours coming up next. Keith Foreman will join me and we will look forward to what have we learned from this year? What are we going to learn in 2021? What are the trends that you need to pay attention to? I really think if you listen to our episode today, you're going to be better at your job. You're going to learn some things that uh, you should be paying extra close attention to for 2021. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my mizzen and main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. Well, usually on Sports Business Radio, we do our year-end top 10 sports business stories of the year, and we kind of have a a quick, not throwaway segment, but just a few minutes on trends to watch for the following year. I think this year and what lies ahead warrants a deeper discussion into that conversation, so trends to watch for 2021. Um, We're going to do a whole show around that today. And from Mark Cuban to Arthur Blank to Abby Wambach to John Smoltz, we've had some amazing guests drop nuggets of wisdom and give us hints of what is coming. So joining me now, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, my longtime friend, college roommate. No one better than Keith to have this conversation with me. Keith, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I really belong with that esteemed group, don't I? Thank you very much. <laughs> no, we get to reflect on uh, yeah. you know, kind of what's been said on the show this year. And I think our audience, look, no one has the, the golden answers for what lies ahead and how to navigate through these unique, unchartered times. But I think we've gotten little nuggets of wisdom on the show this year, and we've just seen things develop from when we did our emergency pod in March, when the pandemic first started, to now that allow us to see a little bit of you know what might be coming ahead in, in the next year. Well, yeah, and everybody. I mean, whether you're Mark Cuban and you have access to all kinds of amazing information or, you know, you're just a knucklehead out there like you or I. um, And we've all been prognosticating and speculating on what's going to happen because of what's happened. And, I mean, we've got almost a year under our belt now of dealing, you know, with this global pandemic. And and we've seen up close and felt, you know... um, felt it, how it's impacted our sport, our, our, our industry, sports in general. And then we can get you know into the weeds of it all. But yeah, I mean, this is a great, I, I love this idea. I'm, I'm so glad you called to want to do this because I mean, we've essentially been doing this every day. Yeah, exactly. And I think some of these things on our list are born out of the pandemic and they're leading to greater efficiency. 
um, just, you know, some changes in technology and how things are done. And then some were going to happen anyways, right? Whether it's sports betting or uh, the growth of streaming and decline of cable, which we'll get into. But some of those things were going to happen regardless of a pandemic. But then, yeah, you know, these and, other ones that we're going to hit on. And COVID exposed it and probably sped the, the escalation of it up even more. Right. All right. So let's start going through the list. And again, some of these are themes and topics we've discussed this year numerous times, um, some recently, but, but let's get into them. Number one, Keith, you know, you and I come from a broadcast background and I had Mary Carrillo on the show last week, who's with HBO Real Sports, and she's a correspondent for NBC for the Olympics. She's called the French Open and the National Dog Show remotely this year. You know, we had Jeff Curtin from the Portland Trailblazers on. He's the director of broadcasting there. Fox Sports Major League Baseball analyst John Smoltz joined me. And then Sports Business Journal media reporter John Oran has joined me this year as well. And I think it's safe in saying that we're going to see a lot more events called remotely than on site in the future. Yeah, I mean, for all the obvious reasons, travel is not enjoyable even before covid travel you know was was no fun for for all the people involved the costs of traveling so many people to a broadcast location and so yeah you're going to see a really scaled down production crew you may see maybe maybe even an increase in local production uh technology infrastructure labor and then it's just at at a minimum um two or three or four people that travel uh, with a team, for example, or on a network broadcast. Right. And, you know, when you're wondering about camera people, if you're in the industry, you know the world feed and what that means. So, you know, an example is the bubble in Orlando when the NBA was doing their broadcast and it was before the playoffs. If you're a local team and you're broadcasting for an RSN, there was a world feed camera. And that's the camera that's, you know, basically centered in the middle and you can go back and forth up and down the court. Then there's a camera that allows you to follow each team, you know, to the huddle and some cutaways and, and things like that. But for whatever event, whether it's, you know, the French Open or an NBA game or whatever, there's going to be like a world feed. So there will be camera people on site, but the director and the talent calling the event will probably be in Bristol, Connecticut, or in the home market of their NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball team. And like you said, so much of a cost savings, it can be done more efficiently. And Keith, you know, here's the other thing. I talked to several NBA teams this week. They're all calling games remotely this year. And one of the biggest reasons why is because they are no longer allowed on the team playing with the players and the coaches. So now if you're going to travel to call a game, You've got to fly commercially, which adds costs. You've got to go through COVID testing. It's just too difficult, and it's so much easier to just call the game remotely. When we were talking about doing this show, we, we kind of referenced how there, there will be short-term trends, um, you know, things that are still very much impacted by the current COVID situation, and then there'll be some long-term trends. And what you're talking about is actually still pretty traditional broadcast viewing. You know, where it's it's over the air, you know, it's on a traditional channel, you know, it, it still follows a traditional like broadcast, you know, production setup, cameras, announcers, audio, replays, graphics, all that kind of stuff. I think the long term 
trends in broadcast sports broadcasting is you're going to see way more uh, enhanced viewer engagement um, uh, offerings like we've seen with, you know, golf. You know, when you can watch any of the majors now basically on your phone through whatever you know, uh, channel you, you prefer. Do you want to follow a group? Do you want to follow a favorite golfer? Do you want to just sit on one hole and watch only that hole? And I think the same is going to continue even in, in your traditional stadium. So like Intel's already for the last few years been putting cameras, you know, 360 degrees around a field so that you can get that cool 360 you know, roto um, replay. Well, if you start having that level of technology in every stadium, you're eventually just going to start seeing, as, and especially as people are streaming more than than watching over the air, uh, the ability to, to to dissect a live broadcast any way the viewer chooses. No, I agree. And if you look at what ESPN has done with the MegaCast, where they've got mm-hmm. it on multiple channels, you know, there's already been talk that if ESPN ABC secures more NFL rights beyond Monday Night Football, that they would promise the NFL that each one of those broadcasts would be a MegaCast on multiple channels. So yeah. I think that's a way of the future. I love your golf example. I think that was great uh, with the Masters and with some other things. So the other thing that's changed, too, around broadcasting is – You know, and Mary Carrillo talked about this last week. She was on site at the U.S. Open. She still had to attend the press conferences via Zoom. She couldn't go in person to the press conference. So the locker rooms are closed. Zooms are the way of the future for coach and player interviews. That has been something that, you know, at Sports PR Summit, we've talked about this coming for a long time. And I think the pandemic is the excuse to close the locker rooms And it's the excuse to only have players and coaches on the team playing. And that's going to be the new normal going forward. So if you want someone for an interview, you're probably going to be doing it virtually. Well, and you know what? It's so funny. Like there's so many old timey movies, sports movies that speak to uh, the relationship between the press and the athlete. And it used to be that sports organizations and players specifically were absolutely dependent on good relationships, you know, with local and national media in order in order to tell their story. Well, that's completely, you know, flipped over backwards now. And so because of what you just said and the fact that, you know, players every day are getting savvier and savvier, you know, telling their own story across multiple you know, social channels. And let's be honest, the, the national media and even the, the your, your typical TV broadcast covers their posts no different than we're reading them ourselves in real time. So it's it's changing journalism in general. And look at all look at how many, you know, Ian O'Connor from ESPN got laid off the other day amongst tons of other longtime established writers. So you'll see a shifting of the guard, so to speak, on who's writing what, where and how and how we consume it. But, um, yeah, athletes are, are kind of going to be on, start to be more on their own. Yeah, and we'll discuss that a little bit later more. But, you know, you look at someone like Steph Curry this year who on his IG Live, which has millions of followers, he's had former President Barack Obama and he's had Dr. Fauci on for conversations. That's going to be much more the norm going forward is where the athletes utilize their own platforms to have conversations versus them sitting down with a media outlet to do a conversation. It also comes down to just pure spin. You know, I can go to the LA Dodger, 
you know, any number of L.A. Dodger channels and hear their glossy Dodger blue version of how everything's going in Dodger land. Or I can go straight to the source, you know, and get probably a much more candid assessment of things, whether, you know, whether it's Justin Turner's, you know, um, account directly or a local writer that's willing to speak a little bit more directly. But we've seen that happening, you know, over the last decade. Right. And that's what we've always tried to do here on Sports Business Radio is instead of, you know, talking about why do the Phoenix Suns trade for Shaquille O'Neal? Like, let's get Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns, on the show and, and have that conversation directly from the person who made the trade. So right. um, I think that's that's kind of what we've always tried to do here. But, you know, look, it's changing. All right. So the hottest job title of 2021. And this isn't just sports. This is business. This is any company. You ready? Director of Sanitation and Safety. That is going to be the hottest job title of 2021 as sports venues, businesses, offices reopen after a vaccine is hopefully proven to work. It's going to be a vital role at every company. And then executing and communicating the new protocols for the employees, athletes, the coaches, and the fans is going to be vital because, again, we're not going to go to games the way we have in the past, whether you're a coach, player, fan, sponsor, anyone. Well, and this is, again, another classic, you know, short-term trend, long-term trend scenario. So, I mean, think about, like, the building of SoFi Stadium, you know, in, in L.A. Right. Think about how different architecturally, um, you know, crowd throughput, uh, lines, uh, food and beverage, uh, all of the inside spaces, climate control, airflow. Think about how differently that stadium might have been designed um, post-COVID. Like anybody that's in the process of building a new stadium right now, I got to think those plans have been completely put on hold and rethought out uh, for a future, a future, you know, sport attending experience. Yeah, so a few things. One, reports about the Tokyo Olympics, which we'll talk about later, but COVID-19 costs are going to add $2.5 billion to the Tokyo Olympics budget, and that's mainly for testing and you know living situations and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then you, know, you look at companies like Elevate and the Oakview Group, they have quickly launched divisions of their company that deal with nothing other than sanitation and cleanliness. So if you need someone to come in and clean your arena or stadium or office complex and you know you don't know who to turn to they are that solution for you so that is you know like you said a short term thing it'll probably turn into a long term thing but you know i don't see the day where people are going to go well we don't have to be as clean as we were in 2021 or as 2020 like let's just go back to the way we were i think this is the new normal can i throw another hot job out at you oh yeah you had this on your list so what did you say director of sanitation and safety yep um i will i will equal that with director of all things content related hmm. in other words a lot of old school organizations sports organizations are still kind of like grasping onto you know their tv production department you know and their marketing department and their pr department and their sponsorship department and content and men some let's be fair a lot of organizations have already figured this out but 
more than ever, those all those departments are going to have to come together to have a completely get on the same uh, page approach uh, to how content is created for your organization. Yeah, no, I I agree, and it's going to have to be seamless. And you know, again, the number of people creating content who are going to have access to the players is going to be limited, um, even remotely. So. Um, you know, that's going to be really, really interesting to, to watch ahead. But I agree with you on that uh, important role within organizations. All right. Another trend to watch for, and Mark Cuban told us about this. He basically said if he had money to invest in one type of an organization, it would be voice activated because people want to have less contact, touchless Things are moving to cashless. You look at the NFL announced that the Super Bowl will be cashless going forward. You know, so in Tampa in 2021, but even going forward, it's going to be cashless. It's all going to be, you know, done that way. So, you know, I know there's already a lot of things in your home, your Alexa or your Siri or whatever that are voice activated. But we don't have that many voice activations around attending sports events and concerts and, and things of that nature. And I think these new venues that you're talking about, they're going to be outfitted with those things. I mean, at the very least, we're going to see cashless because people don't want people handling money, pulling out money, like just make it as easy as possible with Apple Pay or whatever the cashless transaction may be. Well, or you may even see a more, um, how should I put this, all-inclusive approach to being a fan or supporter of a sports team. So instead of buying an individual ticket and then, you know, going into the stadium and spending a little money here at the store and maybe getting in line and buying a, you know, a hot dog and a Coke or, you know, maybe, you know, entering to win. some. I mean, you, you might find yourself basically purchasing a, you know, a, a Cincinnati Reds card, and, and that's your membership card. You are a part of the organization and everything that you could possibly do to interact with that organization across any, you know, you know, transaction is done through that card. And there's, 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 you know, it's secure and they have all your information on file and you're billed monthly and it includes content and it includes food and it includes tickets and everything. No, I think that's great. And I think, you know, the more I've thought about it, I think there's some sort of a hybrid approach to getting fans engaged with your team that could include both attending events in person, but also watching them on your digital devices, right? So is there kind of a hybrid season ticket of the future that allows you to come to some games in person, but also, you know, like you, Keith, the big Dodgers fan, you can watch all the games on streaming or on your phone or your iPad or your TV or, or whatever. The bottom line is you've got to engage the fans. And if you give them a hybrid option, they might be more likely to know, hey, I don't have the pressure of coming to games in person all the time, but I can pick from both options. Yeah. And, and to some degree, the Dodgers, you know, kind of did that. In fact, I was pretty impressed post uh, world series and even during the world series to any number of select fans that probably fell into different groups, you know, within their, their total Dodger nation universe, whatever, um, got invites to join, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe Davis or Earl Hershiser, any number of players, 
uh, Dave Roberts on Zoom calls. And, you know, there was a limit to how many people could be on the live call. And in some cases they took questions. Um, you know, sometimes they posted it later. But, you know, that's just a really basic level of, of content creation and special interaction with your fan base that has to uh, improve, has to increase. Right. And look, you've been able to go to games or watch games on digital or on TV forever, but it hasn't really been packaged as a hybrid season ticket, an all-inclusive no. season ticket. And that's my point here is I think teams are going to have to get creative and do things like that to engage fans on any level that they can. Yeah. And to that, sadly, um, I think you're going to see because uh, you're going to see teams have to market to a wealthier segment more. In other words, you know, pound for pound, minute for minute, you know, dollar for dollar. It makes more sense to teams for teams to put together creative packages that cost more money that have, you know, all kinds of benefits and services than to, you know, um, labor on making sure 25,000 seats in the stadium are filled with, you know, some of the lowest paying customers. Now that sounds awful and terrible. And I, I'm a hundred percent against that, but you know, the business of sport dictates that, you know, you have to come up with creative ways to generate as much revenue as possible. Yeah. And I mean, look, the disposable dollar for people that has disappeared in the last year it's got to be a huge factor going forward. People have lost their jobs. They don't have the disposable income that they had a year ago. And if you're going to get them to buy anything, whether it's you know Netflix or go to a game in person or buy a, a season pass to watch your favorite team, the value is going to have to be greater than it's ever been before. And people are going to have to put on their thinking cap, which brings me to another point, Keith, is yeah. that, you know, look, there's been a lot of turnover at organizations this year. Some of it has been born out of the pandemic and, and you know, revenues dropping and we need to reduce staff. Others have been done, whether people will tell you this or not, is this pandemic has been the excuse to reset organizations. I've had several senior level uh, recruiters tell me that this year, that owners of sports teams are going to use this pandemic as the excuse to turn over their organization, get fresh thinkers in there, maybe operate more efficiently and have less people working for the organization. Well, I think, yeah, a lot of organizations have gotten fat, um, you know, with, with, with lots of employees. And look, it all starts with leadership. I mean, it just depends on what the owner or president you know, or GM of the organization values and what they want to do. But, but generally, a lot of the jobs that you're seeing cut right now from sports organizations are not going to come back for a long time, if ever. And, you know, the dream of so many people to work in sports, um, that's fine. Just expect to probably be working more hours, being asked to do more, maybe not being paid as much. Um, there, you could see some serious age discrimination where younger people are brought in because you can pay them less. And this is the biggest thing of all. I think one's ability to do lots of things, uh, is going to bode very well for you. I, the, the days of being a high paid specialist at a sports organization, you know, unless that's a really critical part of the, of the whole, um, structure, I just don't see it. You're going to be asked to do a lot of different things, cover a lot of bases. Now, the flip side of that 
is if you go back to 2008, the big tech and real estate crash that we had, a lot of people lost jobs. But what happened? A lot of new innovations were born around that time. If you want to look at social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, they all kind of started around that time. And I think a lot of people who have lost jobs now, whether it's out of survival instinct or just, hey, you know what? I'm free to be innovative and creative like I've never been before. We're going to see a lot of companies and new innovations born out of the next year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And again, it, it just with, with content, I just keep going back to content and people just all they've been doing for the last eight months is sitting around their homes, consuming content across multiple screens. And the more creative ways sports organizations are able to package that content up and really engage their viewers um, are uh, are going to be key. And, and in that Betting is a huge one. I, you have to have that on your list. Yeah, we do. And we'll get to that in a minute because I want to stick with the content theme because one of the other things on the list is the growth of streaming and the mm. slow death of cable. So in 2019, 6.3 million people in the U.S. cut the cord according to broadband and search.net. So that number is expected to rise as many more people in 2020 have opted for their favorite streaming services and at a greatly reduced cost to cable. So faces of company like ESPN, we've already seen that changing, uh, Fox Sports, the regional sports networks who are down to like bare bones and calling games remotely, they've all made money through the cable model for decades, Keith. Well, now the Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, HBO, Disney+, Plus, Apple+, Plus, they saw huge increases in viewership this year. If you want to use one of my favorite shows of the year as an example, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, 62 million downloads of the show and counting. So, I mean, those are huge numbers, and streaming has shown that they can draw that kind of an audience. I think the whole model of streaming and cable is changing before our eyes. Well, it is, but it's not going to change what we're paying. So there's obviously the production side of it and the content producers and the carriers. And then there's us, the consumers. And any way you slice it, we're still going to be out $237 a month. Because whether you're paying a cable company directly or you're paying maybe the same company for a powerful enough um, connection, you know, internet connection, internet signal, uh, you're still going to be out the same amount of money. The question is, who can consolidate it and organize it in a really clean way so that the second question, every time you ask some, somebody recommends a show like Queen's Gambit, you're like, oh, okay, so what is that on? Oh, it's on Hulu? Oh, I have Netflix. Oh, it's on you know, HBO Max? Oh, I need to get Apple TV. Oh, you have YouTube TV? Oh, I, there's got to be some kind of smoother you know, uh, organization of all of those different streaming options. Yeah, but the the reason streaming is going to win out over cable, in my opinion, is A, the cable companies, which I've made no secret of, I, I have a real hard time with their business model. You know, hey, let's get you in on a, a great deal, and then we're going to jack up the rates. We're going to not tell you that you're locked in. And, and, you know, especially older people are not aware of how much they're being charged for, for cable. With streaming... Everything is month to month. You are not locked into long-term contracts. If you decide at the end of this month, you know what? I don't want Netflix anymore or HBO or whatever. The other thing that's changing, Keith, and this was big news this past week, 
And I think this is going to be an industry-defining move. Time Warner said, you know what? We are going to release first-run movies on HBO Max. So I pay, I think it's $14.99 a month for HBO Max. And now, whether it's Wonder Woman or uh, Space Jam 2 when that comes out with LeBron and company, those first-run movies, they may be in the theater, but I can also watch them from home. And I think you're going to see these streaming services do things like that to up the ante. Disney Plus had Hamilton on this year and like paid for that investment in a week. That was the worst yeah, well, deal ever for Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, it's these companies all own the theaters and the the streaming you know sites, so it's it's all one and the same. I guess what I'm going back to is that in the end, we're going to pay the same. It's just going to be the money's going to be sent to different places. Well, but I think, like I said, the thing that will be different is even if someone's paying the same you have the ability to opt out yes. of what yes. you're getting on a month-to-month yeah. basis versus, oh, my God, I'm locked into this contract with a cable company for a year to three years. Right. But this is where, you know, this is where when it comes back to sports and the way, you know, your big league-wide, you know, TV sports packages are organized, this is where there's still going to be some – sorry, I dropped my bat um, – um, you're still going to see uh, a fair amount of of t- holding on to the past, those guaranteed dollars, the fact that live sports is still the only place that millions of people come together to watch something at the same time. And that is just still incredibly valuable to, you know, your big brand advertisers combined with whatever the new streaming options are. Right. I just think the point of this is that the cable numbers continue to drop drastically And the streaming numbers, especially this year when people were stuck at home during a pandemic, rose sharply. So if you look at those numbers in the future, I don't see cable going back up at some point, and I don't see streaming taking 10 steps backwards. So that's a trend that we're going to have to watch. Another trend, Keith, less brick and mortar, more focus on e-commerce. A few weeks ago, we had uh, former Nike and Jordan brand executive Mike Hackman on the show, longtime friend of both of ours, and he had some great insight about you know, why Nike is signing fewer athletes, why they're trying to get out of some contracts with current athletes. The model of the future is not going to be go find the next LeBron, Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, or Tiger Woods. It's going to be how do we get the teenage kid to want to get on our website customize their own shoe and order it so it delivers at their doorstep in three days with the coolest colors and, and you know, branding that they want to put on the shoe. Yeah, that's a big one. Not, not only that, but the, the amount of money that these traditional apparel companies under armor, Adidas, Nike have been spending on like college, you know, athletic department uh, partnerships, that's going to change big time. So listen to this stat. You're going to like this one. So Under Armour just signed Steph Curry to a you know a lifetime contract, and he's launching the Curry brand under the Under Armour umbrella, much like Michael Jordan did with right. Nike. Last year, Keith, basketball shoe sales accounted for 3% of overall shoe sales for the shoe companies. 3%. So the days of... You know, hey, everyone's wearing basketball shoes. Uh, Michael Jordan, you know, like his shoes still sell really well. But the point is, is that signing 
big name athletes to wear your shoes and market them in commercials, it's not moving the needle like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing watching, uh, how Nike and Adidas have evolved over the years in, you know, taking on businesses and then shedding businesses and then taking something new on. And then we realizing that didn't make sense and getting out of them. Um, and, you know, Nike especially, I mean, we see it up close in Portland, Oregon, but man, have they built some unbelievable buildings, um, millions and millions of dollars in brand new buildings that just sit empty right now. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD CBD PM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft shoes. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high-quality products. Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us, and CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a, a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's CBDMD.com, promo code SBR. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Okay, let's keep moving down the list. And this is one that I think we were headed this direction, pandemic or no pandemic. And we saw in the last week, the NBA said they are suspending random marijuana testing for the upcoming basketball season. We already know uh, NHL, Major League Baseball have relaxed their rules around marijuana. The NFL will probably get to that point very soon. But I look for the day, Keith, where testing for marijuana by sports leagues goes away completely. And, you know, as I tweeted out this year or this week, this isn't Cheech and Chong anymore, right? This is like CBD... And what the leagues and the athletes and the agents and the players unions have come to is CBD is better for rest and recovery than popping pain and sleeping pills. That's what this comes down to. It is a healthier form of rest and recovery option for the athletes than the addictive pain pills that do all kinds of things to your system long-term and sleeping pills, which many athletes have gotten addicted to. So, and, and what does this do, Keith, is you've seen Baker Mayfield and you've seen Bubba Watson, who was on my show to talk about CBDMD. So many athletes, Rob Gronkowski, are attaching their name to these CBD companies because they want in on the ground floor for when all yeah. the sports leagues make this legal, they go, okay. And, and yeah. by the way, speaking of making it legal, like so many states in the last election approved the sale of marijuana in their state. So that's where the world is moving, and I think sports is soon going to follow. Yeah, and again, I mean, this is this to this to me has been a non-issue for so long, and it's just been a cultural, you know, um, 
uh, I guess, challenge to overcome, you know, or the stigmatization of this. Um, first of all, you know, cannabis products, cannabis based products, you know, whether it's CBD, uh, THC uh, type product, it's just, that's exactly right. It's, it is something that athletes have realized for a long time uh, can be helpful to them. Um, and hopefully, too, you know, with the change in administration, you know, politics in Washington, um, this will this will move quickly over the next few years and be accepted and understood. That's the other thing is it's an it's an education thing. A lot of people still don't understand CBD. Right. Well, and again, it, you know, they think it's Cheech and Chong, you know, up in right. smoke, driving around in their car and, and they're just stoners. And yeah. that's not and what look, this is. If, and if you're a sports team and you're trying to put together a competitive you know, a uh, roster, it's always going to come down to performance and no one is ever going to tell you that, you know, smoking weed is, is going to help your performance at the highest possible competitive levels. You know, it's more relaxant. It's more a, uh, it's a recovery tool. Well, and you know, as Bubba Watson talked on this show, it's helped him a lot with anxiety and all of us are anxious this year, but pro athletes have a lot of pressure on them. And, I think if they have that option to turn to versus some of the other pill popping options, it's a much better option. I mean, athletes back in the, in the fifties and sixties and even seventies, you know, the, the, the two, you know, segments that, that, you know, did personal endorsements the most were alcohol and tobacco. I mean, you had athletes literally selling cigarettes and, and, and booze. Dude, you had the picture, and everyone out there can Google this. Google Len Dawson. He used to play quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. There's a black and white picture of him sitting in the locker room at halftime, smoking sure. a cigarette and drinking a beer. Yeah, I mean, I remember. That's halftime. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> growing up in L.A. in the 80s, they called Vladdy Divac the Marlboro Man. Right. He'd run back into the tunnel and smoke <laughs> Marlboros during the game. Now you've got LeBron James and James Harden paying over a million dollars a year to maintain their bodies. Right. So we've gone in the other direction, which yeah. is good. I mean, you used to go to a sporting event and there'd just be this cloud of smoke that hovered above the boxing ring or above the basketball court. Well, and for you young sparkies out there, I'm old enough to remember flying on airlines like TWA where they let you spark up on the plane and they had ashtrays in the armrest. How stupid does that sound now? Well, sure, and you could sit in the smoking section or the non-smoking <laughs> right. section, and that meant being in either row 18 or row 17 because, of, of course, the smoke in row you know, 17 isn't going to filter back to row 18. Right. Yeah, of course not. There's an imaginary window there that, that keeps yeah. it. All right, let's keep moving down the list. This is another one that was going to grow regardless, and the numbers are going up and up and up. Sports betting is going to continue yeah. to become legal in more and more states. As of this recording, 18 states plus Washington, D.C. are legal. Another four states, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Washington, have passed bills legalizing it this year. They're not yet operational. So sports betting in 2021 is forecast to – this is just the United States, by the way – $2.5 billion. And by 2025, just in the U.S., eight billion dollars so sports betting is growing you know you're seeing my god i'm on the email list for mgm and caesars i get an email every day about a new partnership they have with a team or a league or a brand or esports team like they're out there making deals like nobody's business and you know we even saw when sports were shut down this year keith people are betting on like 
esports and virtual sports and, and things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. So two thoughts here. Um, first of all, going back to, uh, changes in future broadcast sports broadcast this is where yep. i think you have the opportunity to, to see some significant uh enhancements so to speak and i'll give you a great example of it so the match uh quote unquote that took place uh last week that featured mickelson and charles barkley um and peyton manning and um steph curry who i miss and steph curry yeah. and i loved it by um, the way yeah, I mean, there were a lot of really, really good things about it, and there were plenty of sponsor integration opportunities there that were that were kind of innovative. Um, the sports gambling part is what caught me the most because I've never been uh, a gambler. Um, you know, I'm always interested to know what the line is, uh, but this took it to a whole different level, especially with regards to golf, because traditionally you bet when you play golf, you know, if you're playing at a fundraising event, there's always opportunities to win money or, you know, through, uh, or to raise money, you can win money, you know, as a, as a participant. Um, but to be able, you know, to watch these guys approach the third, you know, T, which might've been a par three and have a graphic come up on the screen that says something like, you know, uh, here are the odds. If all four guys hit the green right. or if all four are within 20 feet and it shows you what the number was. And then to have, you know, uh, whatever app, or maybe you're just watching this through, a you know, a device that allows you to interact in real time and place your bets, or maybe you purchase a certain amount of credit before the event begins. And then that's your, your budget to bet throughout the event. That to me is a really intriguing engagement opportunity for a live sports event. No, I agree. And going back to what we talked about earlier with mega casts, I can see like if you're doing a mega cast, I can see one of the channels on the mega cast being devoted to solely just real time betting and odds and breaking down what yeah. might happen and the whole conversation around sports betting. But this also leads to something that, you know, prevented gambling from being allowed in sports for a long, long time. And that's the integrity of the game. And the more betting is accepted within all facets of all games. Um, boy, you're that, what happens when there is a major breakdown, um, in, in the legitimacy of the contest that's taking place. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it, we've seen point shaving and, and things like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, you're right. It definitely opens up the opportunity for more of these things, even like on a shot by shot basis, like, you know, someone could throw a hole or something or, you know, throw a, a yeah. quarter. I'm going to miss this free throw or whatever. Like you could do it so that it's well disguised. But yeah, no, I, I agree. But, but look, that's, it's going to continue to increase. Yeah. And then within that, you know, another thing I, I, I would like to see more of and I can't imagine why it wouldn't is what I'm calling like celebrity celeb sportainment which is exactly what that match was yeah. more events that feature personalities, you know, primarily sports, but you know, like you used to have, you know, the, the uh, superstars on ABC where you'd have, you know, athletes from all the different sports compete, you know, in bike riding around a dirt track in Hawaii, which was just hysterical and awful all at the same time. Nonetheless, it was, it was, it was interesting. And you know, what's so intriguing about the match is it's such a controlled event and you you find the right combination of players from different sports with the right personalities 
and you sell a bunch of integrated, you know, partnerships to brands. And if you've got the right combination of people and the venue and the brands, it just it can come to life in a really impressive, entertaining way. Well, by the way, if there's any uh, high ranking media executive listening to this right now, superstars and bringing that back is like just the perfect made for TV event. You can do it in a bubble. You can have sports stars. Yeah. You can have uh, athlete stars, you know, from entertainment like Michael B. Jordan or, you know, people like that there. It's great made for TV. And, you know, why do we not have superstars going on right now when there's all these made for TV things going on? Yeah. And again, as each of these individual athletes across every sport understands how to brand themselves more, um, be their own production house. Uh, it just, it, to me, it bodes really well for that kind of celebrity info or entertainment, you know, sports opportunity event. All right. So we talked earlier about how sports organizers are going to have to offer a value like they've never offered before coming out of this because disposable dollar has disappeared and there's so much competition for that disposable dollar. I think, Keith, that minor league baseball, once they get this new agreement figured out with Major League Baseball, they are ripe to have some big, big years ahead because, A, coming out of the pandemic, people are going to want to be outside, right? They want to be outdoors. They want to be with their families, but they also need an activity that is affordable. And minor league baseball for years has been affordable. I think they can do some clever things coming out of this. I just think if you look at like value propositions that are out there, uh, maybe the XFL is is a league that will position itself similarly to minor league baseball. But those are the types of sports and leagues that I think could thrive. I've always wondered, and, and especially after this year, if we as as a nation, as a society, are drifting more toward appreciating just being at an event than needing to be in the first row watching the star athlete. I mean, th- that's become so cost prohibitive for most people anyway. And, you know, when COVID affected all the sports and Major League Baseball, you know, was forced to delay the start of their season – There are a lot of upset people that are like, wait a minute, why can't we go to a minor league, you know, ballpark and and be socially distanced and wear a mask Um, because it's 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 outside. It's more conducive to smaller crowds. Um, And so my question is, as baseball MLB figures out its relationship, its evolving new structure with minor league baseball, are they? Could minor league baseball essentially cannibalize major league baseball? If you're in Seattle and you can barely draw 25,000 average for a Mariners game, and now with with you know less people having the means to park and and buy all the the things that go along with a major league baseball outing, are more people going to be interested in just going down to Tacoma and having a much more affordable kind of simple outside experience, you know, with baseball? Right. Yeah. No, it's going to be really, really interesting. But like we've said, the value propositions are going to have to be better than they've ever been before. All right. Two big events coming up in 2021 that I want to discuss with you. Number one is March Madness. And, you know, look, we've done many shows this year talking about college sports. Uh, I think one of the more interesting ones was when I had Oregon State University president 
F. King Alexander on, who used to be the president at Louisiana State University, LSU. Yeah. And he said a few things. Number one is he said he sees the day where 15 teams or so break off and form a super conference. Okay. So we've talked about that for a long, long time. Because, look, it's the same four or five teams getting into the the college football playoff every year. Uh, Last week, uh, the Knight Commission recommended that the FBS break away from the NCAA. That's probably going to happen at some point. But March Madness is the number one revenue driver for the NCAA. It has to happen. They can't go without it two years in a row after canceling earlier this year. So I think what's going to happen from people I've spoken with is they're going to play it in a bubble. And that part has been reported. Um, they may do it at one site. They may do it at like four sites and then bring everyone together. Kind of like major league baseball playoffs did where they had four sites and then they condensed to two and then to one. Um, but I think it's going to happen. It's going to be made for TV. Um, who knows what the college basketball landscape is going to look like by March? Cause so many teams are already having to cancel games and coaches are getting COVID and all of that stuff. But I do think March madness will happen for the pure fact that if it doesn't happen again, it could be the end of the NCAA as we know it. Right. So that's good. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If March madness doesn't happen and the NCAA doesn't get their billions of dollars from CBS Uh, the NCAA is in deep, deep trouble. Uh, College basketball, maybe of all the big revenue-producing college sports, you know, might be the strongest uh, or might have the the healthiest-looking future. It just may be completely different. In other words, based on what's happened this year and maybe next year, I could imagine schools saying we just can't afford to keep a football program anymore, especially if you you go to a super conference-type scenario and people just can't afford to be part of that. Uh, Or there's geographical shifting amongst the the conferences that that just changes things up, or the TV networks decide not to spend nearly as much dollars with each of these different conferences. Basketball is different, though. You You can still kind of pull that off on a lesser budget, a lesser operational budget than, than what a football program costs. Well, especially if you're calling events remotely, right? You're going to save a lot of money in that investment. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, something that I've always wanted to see is a true geographic approach to, you know, March madness. Like I hate the fact that, you know, some team on the West coast, like Oregon state may have a great year, uh, and ends up having to fly out to Raleigh or, you know, Greensboro, which is where, you know, Duke or North Carolina gets to host every year, year after year after year. It would be fun to see truly, you know, a Western, a, you know, a Northwest region, a Southwest region, you know, across and filled with nothing but, you know, teams from those areas. And it all culminate, you know, in a, in a true final four or final eight somewhere. And yeah, you might have some better teams coming in or playing tougher games in their region, but so be it. That's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. I think it makes sense, especially for 2021 to have the regions or the bubbles be teams that don't have to travel as far. Um, And, you know, who knows if that becomes a new norm or if that's just for 2021, but bottom line is I think March madness is going to happen and they know they have to execute it for the TV dollars. And if they don't, you know, again, the NCAA, as we know it, could be finished. So let's talk about the other big event 
mega event, international event for 2021 that was postponed from this year, Keith, and that's the Tokyo Olympics. And, you know, we heard Mary Carrillo say on this show last week that there's a good chance that NBC will only send a handful of people to Tokyo and everyone else will call things remotely from Stamford, Connecticut. And, you know, you have a vaccine and there's going to be politics around who gets the vaccine. Like, for instance, if we're at a point where, you know, all the high-risk people in the world haven't gotten the vaccine yet, but, you know, the high-powered athlete going to the Olympics does get the vaccine, vaccine, you know that there's going to be talk around that and conversation around that. But I think the Tokyo Olympics are going to happen. I think they may be made for TV. I've even spoken to people who I will not name that have said that if the vaccine hasn't kicked in fully, they are going to bring in professional sports fans. And by pro sports fans, I mean they're going to bring in, let's just say for a round number, 10,000 fans. They're going to make sure they're tested every day, and they're going to send them from Olympic event to Olympic event. So they're basically background noise and filler on the TV screen for the events. But it'll just be that group of people, and you won't have people buying tickets and coming in from all around the world. You have to wonder if it's a good thing that Tokyo was the site that, you know, where the Olympics was planning to be as opposed to any other part of the world. And the reason I say that is from a technical standpoint, they can probably, they probably have enough technology, you know, built into their venues. They have enough systems in place. They have enough national, I guess, respect for the pandemic and mitigating it to be able to pull this event off. Um, But this is going to be by far the most expensive Olympics ever. And I mean, this conversation is for another day, but this totally blows up the theory of like your return on investment for hosting an Olympics. If you're Tokyo, LA, Paris, whoever that's out the window, like you, you go into this knowing you're going to lose your rear end on this thing. This is just about recouping any dollars you possibly can at this point. Yeah. But I just think that, you know, Tokyo is the, is the one, um, is the one area that can pull this off. I really, can you imagine if the Olympics were scheduled to be in Moscow? Oh God. You know, or I mean, no, Tokyo, I think can do this. I really do. Yeah. And I think, you know, much like we just talked about with March Madness and the NCAA, there are too many dollars wrapped up in Tokyo to just say, you know what, this isn't happening. So even if countries boycott, even if athletes say, you know what, you know, how many NBA star athletes are going to go, well, you know what, I'm going to take this one off. I, I, in, a, in a normal year, I'd go over and represent my company or my country, but this year, no thanks. I just played a full season and I'm not going to go risk my health in – Tokyo. So I think there's going to be athletes and even countries that pull out. Sponsors are going to go, wait a minute. I signed up for this. Like I'm already reading about Airbnb who was going to do lots of, you know, on-site lodging for athletes and they were going to do lots of activations on site. Well, that's all changed for them since they signed up. Are they able to pull the plug because of some pandemic clause in the contract or are they going to have to put on their thinking caps and totally rethink their strategy around the Olympics? 
Yeah, I mean, the costs across every aspect of that whole event production are going to be astronomical. But as I said, if there's one place that can pull it off, it's it's going to it's going to be Tokyo and Japan. I mean, my God, we had more people die in the United States yesterday uh, than have died in Japan through the entire uh, pandemic. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. So I think we're both in agreement. Tokyo Olympics happen. March Madness happened. They're just going to look very, very different. And I guess the disclaimer I'll put out there is, you know, this is as long as we don't find like another crazy strain of the virus, right? Like if something like that happens, all bets are off. But if we're trending towards a vaccine and, you know, these events, especially Tokyo, isn't scheduled to happen till July of 2021, I, I think they will take place. Well, and if you're an event organizer, if you're the director of, what did you say, sanitation and safety? Yep. You know, um, boy, your organization might want to send you to Tokyo to just kind of see everything that's that's uh, put into place for that event. I mean, you'll be able, there'll probably be a lot of best practices run out there. Well, the other thing that I think is going to have to happen this year, and this is one that we'll get to as we as we start to wrap, is – you know, you've seen this happen with the NFL and Major League Baseball and, and really all the major team sports that have come back this year. The schedule makers have had to put on their thinking caps like never before. And you wonder, so the NBA just released the first half of their schedule. They haven't released the second half of the schedule yet. Why did they do that? Because they want to have flexibility around that second half. If they've got to make up some games, if they've got to push some things out, um, the NFL this week, you know, there's word they didn't officially announce it, but there's word that they've told sponsors, you know what, if the Super Bowl doesn't happen in Tampa on February 7th, we have held February 28th as the backup date if we've got to push the season out a few weeks to fit games in. And then we hope that we can execute on February 28th. All of the schedule makers going into 2021 you've got to build in some cushion there for yourself if things go wrong. Well, and that's true for any organization, all the different scenario planning. I mean, you could almost create another role just for chief or director of scenario scenario planning. planning. Yeah, that's a good one too. It's a big deal because it just means that the entire organization has to be that much more nimble about changing. Um, Or if you're a broadcast or an advertiser, you know, and you've got a full on integrated media you know, um, uh, strategy, uh, across every touch point, you know, out there and everything changes, you know, two weeks, you have to be able to accommodate that. So it's just going to change the way contracts are written, the way, you know, um, uh, uh deals are held or, or windows are held minutes are, sp- you know, sold 30 second spots are sold all of it. All right. Let's wrap with this. Cause this was a election year in the United States. Um, I don't want to go too deep into politics here, but both you and I follow up pretty closely. You much more than me. Um, but, you know, Sports Illustrated just came out with their sports people of the year, and everyone on the list transcends the world of sports and, and delves into politics in some way, shape, or form. It was LeBron James, it was Patrick Mahomes, it was Brianna Stewart, Naomi Osaka. Um, and then there's one gentleman for the Kansas City Chiefs whose name is escaping me right now. I apologize. But that has become a big part of the conversation this year. And, Keith, that's another thing that I don't see going backwards. I think that dam has been broken, and we're going to see that going forward. 
Oh my God. Yes. The, the notion of keeping politics quote unquote out of sports, uh, those days are, are long behind us. And, you know, there are a number of significant events that, that have happened obviously over the last, um, you know, year that have, that have just completely breached that dam. Um, and, uh, obviously the, you know, the George Floyd, you know, murder and, you know, the black lives movement this summer, um, but I think, again, as social media has evolved and players have used their own personal platforms to express their views, um, you know, the whole Laura Ingram telling LeBron to shut up and dribble. I mean, that's just absurd now. So I'm really happy for for athletes who have recognized how to use their platforms uh, to express their views, but the really tangible changes that we've already seen, we'll continue to see short term and definitely long term. You know, sports is is going to have a big role in voting. Just the the whole production of elections, um, the fact that voting used to take place in high school cafeterias and you know people's garages and libraries and you know traditionally you know not big spaces with not good ventilation. You know, the, 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 there are a number of leaders, including Stephen Ross, you know, owner of the, of the Miami Dolphins, um, who was one of the first to to support using, you know, his facilities for as voting sites. Um, and so in the future, I can't imagine how you won't continue to have uh, arenas and stadiums as voting locations. One, it makes voting more fun. Generally speaking, you want as many people to vote because that's what a democ- how proper democracy works. Um, and so if sports are the lifeblood of this of our country and our culture, then then absolutely our stadiums and arenas should be promoted as voting locations. So that's not going to change um, at all. The other thing I think you're going to see more of as you know athletes make more and more money and invest their money wisely, Hopefully, you're going to start seeing um, an increase in minority ownership. Um, I mean, minority uh, people, BIPOC, you know, um, athletes uh, turning, uh, evolving as their careers grow and, and they move to their post, you know, playing days and becoming uh, owners um, in, in the various teams or sports that they've represented themselves in. Yeah, like Abby Lombach, who was on a few years ago, or a few years ago, a few weeks ago. And, you know, is one of the founding investors for Angel City FC. I love what Steph Curry just did with Under Armour in launching the Curry brand. 10% of all the revenues are going to different charities. So I think you're right. You're going to see some of these athletes building those types of deals into their team or into their sponsors and saying, hey, you know, we got to make the world a better place as part of our relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, ultimately... Uh, I think that um, as it relates to college sports, uh, this is a big deal as well. I think um, never before has college have college athletes been exposed um, as they've been this year um, for what they truly are for 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 universities. They're fundraisers. They're they're right now essentially they're mercenaries, you know, keeping alive whatever. Um, guaranteed TV dollars are flowing into a conference, you know, or a school. And, you know, some would argue that that they could have stood up more and leveraged their opportunities 
but the reality is they want to play their sport and they want to hopefully get better and move on and play professionally. And so I think that's what's being manipulated a bit in college sports. But uh, another trend that you're going to see both short term and long term is is more player rights for the quote unquote amateur athlete. Yeah. All right. We have covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Is there anything that I left out that you wanted to throw out there? I think the only thing is that it's not going to be a light switch in 2021, Brian. We're not going to go back to the way things were in February, January, February of 2020. It's going to I think this is going to be another rough year for the sports industry. Um, There'll be. There'll be improvements. You'll see some good things, but it's not, we're not going back to normal this year. Um, and I think it's going to force organizations to come up with some really creative ways to generate revenue. You might start seeing logos, brand logos on some places that normally you haven't been as comfortable, uh, like the pitching mound, you know, like maybe a, an AT&T logo on a helmet, like multiple logos on a jersey. I mean, that's been going on all over the world. Um, in the United States, we've been less, I guess, accepting of it. Well, I think that's coming faster than a lot of people might be ready for. Well, and I'll throw another revenue fundraiser out there that can raise funds and lots of them very, very quickly in pro sports. And I think the NBA could do this very quickly is if you're willing to look at expansion, if the NBA were to say, you know what, we're going to add Seattle and Las Vegas as franchises, that is billions of dollars that you're bringing to the party that you may be losing. All the owners are making up some lost revenues. It's more money that you can charge the TV and digital partners. So I think some of these leagues that are worth billions and billions of dollars and, and the teams are worth that kind of money, if they want to raise money quickly, you may see some talk of expansion. And I know fans don't like to dilute the playing field, but if you're looking at it from a, a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So maybe expansion at the pro level and maybe some contraction as far as sports programs, athletic programs at the college level. Right. Yep. All right. Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, my friend. Keith uh, has a birthday coming up on December 9th, so happy birthday to you. As do you, and we are both, are we both seniors? I think we are. We're both turning 52. So, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to take my senior vitamins now, so I guess we're officially uh, in that generation. Have you had a colonoscopy yet? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question, which will... <laughs> Maybe that's another maybe that's another show. That's probably another show. Yeah, and I don't think the audience wants to hear anything about that. Okay. So but I, I would appreciate some listener feedback feedback on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll wait till next year for that one. All right, and I want to tease very quickly the December twenty second edition of Sports Business Radio, which will include our top ten sports business stories of the year 2020. And Keith, I hope that you contribute some stories to that list. Love it. All right. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
to ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged. Sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.